it means to be at the feet of Jesus. And uh, again, it's, it's interesting how things always come together because I don't pick the worship songs. I don't even hint at the worship songs. I just, I'm going to mess that up if, if I do that. And, um, and I was laughing when I saw your email last night and just listened to your song there. And I was thinking um, of a good title for this message this morning. It's really more of a devotion, a very simple devotion. You, I just want to talk about prayer. And, and there's nothing here you haven't heard before. There's nothing here that's probably going to be new. It's just more of an encouragement. And I know if you're on social media, especially Facebook, um, sometimes you see the videos of, of life hacks. Anyone ever seen those little things that like, you, you, you're caught in some kind of an issue and, and maybe you don't have the proper tool or you don't know how to, to get a stain out or something or what, but it kind of gives you um, a creative thing. And um, back at Christmas, my mom, I think, had bought a sweatshirt for Ella for Christmas, but it was shipped to us for some reason. And, we, and the night before we were going to wrap it, I think it was Christmas Eve, we pulled it out of the box and it still had the safety thing that, you know, alerts you when you go out of the store you know, so it's like Christmas Eve, 10 o'clock at night, and we're like, well, what are we going to do? I mean, I know she wants to wear it, and I'm like, ah, YouTube has something on this. There's a, there's a hack for this. I know there is. So long story short, you can take dental floss and somehow maybe twist it or whatever, and let me just say this. There is definitely ink inside of those things because the, the, the hack I got led me wrong, and uh, all of a sudden I had ink on my hands, and I, there was a couple spots on the sweatshirt, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I've ruined this sweatshirt, which is like, it was a name brand, Nike or Under Armour or something. You know, those things aren't cheap, right? So then I'm like, oh, hairspray brings out ink. That's a life hack right there. So I'm squirting hairspray in it, throwing it in the, the washer, and it came out, praise God, because uh, God is good, not because of these life hacks. And so I was thinking of a catchy title, you know, maybe prayer, prayer hack, but I don't know if that fully embodies really what, what I want to say this morning or talk about this morning, but I really just want to talk about prayer. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about um, in the midst of, uh, well, let me say this, in the midst of summer rhythms, a lot of times we, we can, now, can get outside of certain habits. We talked about, you know, sometimes when we're on vacation, maybe the first thing that goes is our devotion to the Lord, whether it's getting into the Word or, or prayer or, or even fellowshipping. There's certain rhythms that take place in certain seasons, and because summer is sometimes, maybe we're, we're sleeping a little bit later or people are on vacation, we're on vacation, we can get out of those certain rhythms. And the challenge was to us, the encouragement was that as we come into this fall season, I know it's still summertime, is that we would reestablish some of those regular habits. Uh, but there was also a warning there is not, not to get so legalistic in those habits that there's not life in that devotion time. And we looked at the midst of Jesus' uh, beginning ministry in Luke chapter 4. And, you know, he was, he was delivering people. He was healing people. There was great things happening. He was proclaiming his mission um, in the middle of, of chapter 4 when he's quoting Isaiah. But then we come to chapter 4, verse 42, and we talked about momentum, that he had this momentum that he could have just arranged this tent meeting and, and thousands and thousands and thousands probably would have got saved. But when it comes to verse 42, it says, When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. And, and it goes on and on. But that Jesus found a place of solitude. He found a deserted place to be able to connect 
to the Lord in that place of, of solitude. And we talked about what solitude is. It's not always just a quiet place necessarily, just a place where you can focus upon the Lord. As I've been reading through Luke, I came a week or so ago to chapter 11. And, you know, chapter 11 is the beginning of, of Jesus' modeling prayer, or I think it says the model prayer in, in my Bible here. But verse 11, not verse 11, verse 1 of chapter 11, I think we skip over it sometimes. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And that really jumped out to me, really two things. One is that it said, Jesus was praying. And, and we looked at this. Chapter 4, it says Jesus was praying. He, he found a solitude place and was praying. Chapter 5 says the same thing. The, the, and I think I mentioned this last time, that when Jesus went to the, up to the mountain for the transfiguration, they were also in a place, they were, I think they were going up to the mountain to pray. And again, we see it here. So there's a constant habit of praying. But there's also a second line, Lord, teach us to pray. I think there's no doubt that Jesus had a deep prayer life with the Father. But I want to say it's, it's sometimes not the prayer life that we may envision that prayer life is. Because I know when, when I was discipled, and maybe as a college student, you have to be this way sometimes. It was read your word for 15 or 20 minutes and pray for 15 or 20 minutes. And I would pull out my watch, and I felt like I had prayed forever. I mean, I'd call down everything that I knew to call down or call up on and praise and all that. And it'd be like a minute 20 <laughs> on a good day. Most of the time it's like 35 seconds. And I'm like, how do people pray the other 14 minutes and 30 seconds? Anyone ever felt that way before? I mean, I feel that way sometimes now because there's this whole stat about pastors only pray 22 minutes a day. And it's like, hell's going to freeze over before I pray less than 22 minutes a day, you know, and not really, but, uh, you know, you, you have those things and, and all that. But Jesus had this prayer life. And I want to submit to us this morning that it wasn't just based upon how much time he had before the Lord. It was based on a communion with the Father. And that same communion is available to us as well. Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Again, what we see is Jesus is praying, but something was different here. The Jews knew how to pray, and I'm going to talk about it in a few moments. But, but what was being seen, I, I believe, is something different than the traditional prayer or the prayer that, that came and said, I want something and I need something. What then is prayer? Simply put, I think prayer is communicating with God. It's what I tell people a lot of times. I think, you know, a lot of times we, prayer is one of those holy, righteous church words that we don't even know what it means sometimes. And, and, and when you give it to someone, depending on where you are spiritually mature, even, even for someone who's been spiritually mature for a number of years maybe, like a lot of us here, prayer, we don't fully understand it a lot of times. And you give it to someone who's new in their faith and say, here's prayer. Or someone who doesn't even have faith or is, is seeking God and wondering if they want to follow. You say prayer, it may be getting up at four in the morning and, and making sure you have a long white beard and a flowing robe and, and you're chanting, you're doing all these different things. And it's not appealing at all. And I simply tell people, prayer is communicating with God pouring out your heart before the Lord. It doesn't have to be perfect. It can be messy. You, you can be angry and come before the Lord. You can be happy. You can be everything in between. It's communicating with God. We communicate, but often we do it in a rushed fashion. Many times we, we come and we say, God, how you doing this morning? This is what I need today. Bless me. Bless my family. I'll catch you later. 
And that's the essence of our prayer. I know it simplifies it down a lot. But, but if we think about it sometimes, that's what we're trying to do. We're saying, okay, here's my 15 minutes, Lord. I hope traffic's not too bad today so I can get to work. And I'm going to pray in the car. I'm going to pray. And maybe I hit snooze one time too many, but I'll give you a little bit. Stormio Martin, which I think a lot of us know, the power of the praying, wife, husband, all these different books. But the power of the praying parents. She says this that I want to read to us this morning. It says, prayer is much more than just giving a list of desires to God as if he were the great sugar daddy or Santa Claus in the sky. Prayer is acknowledging and experiencing the presence of God and inviting his presence into our lives and circumstances. It's seeking the presence of God and releasing the power of God, which gives us the means to overcome any problem. She says, God gives us authority on earth. When we take that authority, God releases power to us from heaven. But it's God's power, not ours. We become the vessel through which his power flows. When we pray, we bring that power to bear upon everything we're praying about. And we allow the power of God to work through our powerlessness. When we pray, we are humbling ourselves before God and saying, I need your presence. I need your power. I can't do this without you, Lord. When we don't pray, it's like saying we have no need of anything outside of ourselves. That's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. God, we need you. We sang that this morning. God, we need you. But how many times do we then turn around and try to do something in our own powerless state or, or, or way? And I'm not saying we don't have power at all, but the power we do have is, is, is by the Holy Spirit, is by God. The root word of communication is to commune, which offers a different take on our relationship with God. Commune gives a whole different image than communicating. Communicating is, is sometimes what we do here on Sunday morning, which I, we do all the time, is like, hey man, how you doing? Hope your week was good. You're not going to give me five, not going to shake my hand, you know, whatever. And then, hey, we've communicated. But to commune is different. It's like, well, I'm not, I don't want to embarrass you, but it's like sitting on someone's lap in some ways, right? It's, it's, like, it's like spending time to look them in the eyes and to let them look you in the eyes. To commune is the essence of the word to communicate. And if we're going to, to have a prayer life, it's going to, let me say this carefully because I don't want to say a prayer life that's not honoring glory for, to God is, is rushed, but I, I have a hard time thinking if we're rushing through it, are we really communing? A prayer life with God, as the commune definition that I found says, to means to focus on God, to converse, to talk, often with profound intensity, intimate communication or rapport as sharing your heart and your mind with God. We know this already. I think we've heard this taught many times. This is what prayer is. Prayer is not just throwing something up real quick and, and hoping it bounces back at some point. We understand it's communion. We understand there's a, there's a sense of communication. Maybe we understand more it's about communication and not as much about communion. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus as, as Mary chose over Martha. And, and Jesus blessed that and said that is good to come and sit, to commune in the presence of the Lord. Now, I know we live busy lives, but yet this is the God of the universe. This is the one who should be priority over everything. It's the one that we should come and, and talk to first and foremost. I get frustrated sometimes when I go home because my kids monopolize the time with my wife. And sometimes it's over frivolous stuff. 
Things that she's already answered. Can I use this marker or this marker? Should I do this or should I do that? And, 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 and I tell them, look, you're leaders. And it's not really my boys. My girls aren't here, so I'll talk about them for a second. You know, I tell them you're leaders. You can make that decision. But how many things vie for that attention when, when I just want to tell her about my day or hear about her day? I just want to commune and, and say, hey, what's been going on? How much more in our own spiritual lives happens with prayer sometimes? That things are vying for our attention. Things are vying for our communication with God, and we choose not to commune. We may come and, and offer something up quickly, but we're not fully communing with God. Communication, to me, is the backbone of any relationship. And prayer is communicating communing with God. Jesus says here in Luke 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray. They've already seen it modeled already. Chapter 4, chapter 5. Transfiguration, I think, is chapter 9. They've already seen it modeled, just as John taught his disciples. John also taught his disciples how to pray. Now, the Jews knew how to pray. There's already three times during the day set aside for prayer, and depending on a holiday or a special occasion, there could be four or five. You had morning prayer. It takes on the, the Hebrew word for, for morning light. You had afternoon prayer, which is named for the flower offering that usually accompanied the sacrifices in the temple. And you had additional prayers, as called sometimes, or evening prayer, night prayer, nightfall prayer, as the Hebrew word gives us. So they already knew how to pray. They already had prayer time set aside. And here is one of the disciples saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because they saw something different. They saw a communion with God. Not just God or someone coming to God and saying, God, bless my family. I'm glad I'm not like that sinner over there. You know, do this, do this, do this. And then and disconnecting. They saw a relationship, a communion, an intimate sharing of life. They saw something else that wasn't about wearing a robe or being clean or saying the right words. It was natural. It was exciting. It was fun. When's the last time you said, hey, prayer's exciting? Prayer is fun. Prayer should be exciting and fun because we're communicating with our Father, with the creator of the universe, with the one who holds the power, with the one who holds the authority, with the one who can and will do the impossible. But sometimes we, we look at it different ways because we haven't got our prayer answered or we haven't got our need met in the way that we want to or whatever. It points to the fact also that the disciples were willing to learn. And this is what spoke to me most about probably reading this verse a couple weeks ago is, is the disciples are saying, teach us to pray. But as I mentioned, they already knew how to pray. Teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to commune with you in a greater way. Teach me to understand that there may be some things that are, that are, are vying for your attention that I'm giving into. Lord, maybe I'm coming to you with my own needs sometime too much. And, and I know there's, as Jesus goes into the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray for your daily bread. But there's, that's a little bit further down after Thanksgiving and different things. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to commune. But to me, it's more, Lord, teach me to commune. Teach me to stay in your presence, to be in your presence, to cling to your presence, to not want to leave your presence. Moses left the presence of God in the tent of meeting, and Joshua stayed. It wasn't that Moses rushed through it or anything, but Joshua, it was fun and exciting. So, Lord, teach me to be in your presence. We have these verses in the New Testament 
that sometimes, um, I guess we can, we can take however we want to take them, but 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing or pray constantly. Luke 18.1, as, as Jesus is talking about the parable of the persistent widow, he says this, and he told them this, pa- this parable on the need for them to pray always. So we hear pray without ceasing. Now we hear pray always. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now I know sometimes people can take that a little legalistically. You know, we, we hear that sometimes and say, what does it mean to pray constantly? What does it mean to pray always? Am I supposed to just always have a prayer upon my lips? And I think it's, it's just inviting God into all areas of our life at all times. You know, we measure a lot with our relationship, in our relationship with God by how much we've done something. Have I read my chapter in the Bible today? Have I done my devotion? Have I prayed my 15 minutes? Have I served? Have I given? Have I done this? And have I done that? And I think our relationship with God is not always measured by numbers, but, but more by depth, by the quality. And depth sometimes takes time. As I said, I, mean, I love to spend time with Carrie and we, we went on vacation a couple weeks ago, just her and I. We were in the mountains. I think I shared this a little bit. The first, the first two days, we were at a place. The internet was down. There was no TV in our room. There, there, we couldn't get cell phone coverage. And so we spent a lot of time talking. You know, because, you know, sometimes you can get distracted by the TV. You know, you're in the presence, which you love being in the presence. But we spent a lot of time talking, catching up. And, and man, that's, that's, that's intimate conversation. That's communing together. But the reality of life is when we pick those kids up on Friday afternoon and six of us are back in the van driving and, and we got to come home and, we're, and, and you know, we're just getting back into life that, oh, we got school supplies, we got to do this and this, this, this. When do we commune? We still commune every day, but maybe at, on that same level as when we're on vacations. There's different times. and That's what Jesus was saying. Find those times of solitude and commune, but every day you can commune together. Sometimes we can just simply look at each other and we've got each other figured out like, oh, yes, I know her day was, was not so good or not so good or was great or whatever. And there's days when, when we may have two or three minutes in the kitchen just, just to commune real quick because we know when the kids are going to come in and interrupt. But we're still making those times of communion. And again, I, what I'm saying is it's about depth. It's, it's not always about the, the amount of time that is there. It's about the lifestyle. And prayer is that lifestyle. It's communing with God, not just coming and communicating real quickly. Of course, we want to establish a habit of daily devotion time and prayer with God, but he wants more than an appointment in our schedule. He wants it to be more than just an appointment in the evening or at night or whatever. I'm not not speaking against that. I do that. It's the first thing I try to do when I come here in the mornings because if I don't do it first thing, I'm not going to do it the rest of the day. But he wants to be included in every activity. You hear that? Every activity. Every conversation. Every problem, every thought. Sometimes we just come, and, and again, you know this. I'm, I am preaching to the choir more than anything, right? Because in a lot of ways, you know this. I just want to remind you. It's not just about, hey, God, I did my devotion. I read my, my whatever on, on my phone. Let me go do my own thing. But every thought, every conversation, every problem, every aspect. We can carry on a continuous open conversation with him throughout the day. I think that's what 1 Thessalonians is talking about, praying without ceasing. It means conversing with God while you shop, while you drive, while you work, while you're dealing with something that's just not going favorably. Performing every task, sometimes the mundane task, 
And we talked about that at one point um, a few weeks ago or a month or so. Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God, the guy who peeled potatoes in the bottom of a monastery and just talked about practicing the presence of God within that. Again, the misconception is that spending time with God means being alone with God. Yes, we need alone time. But also, that's only a fraction of our waking hours. Everything we do can be spending time with God. And everything that we do should be viewed as spending time with God. We've talked about that, honoring God as we work, honoring God as we speak or as we eat or these different things along the way. Our, our prayer life and our relationship with God is not something that needs to necessarily be accomplished. It has a lot more with being than doing. And that's what we fight against a lot of times is, is the being versus the doing. Because we want to do, we're in, a, we're in a culture, it's a lot about doing. If you're going to get promoted, you got to do. If, you, if you're going to have favor, you got to do. If you're going to succeed in school, you got to do. And I'm not saying don't do. But we got to understand our relationship with God is about being, being in the presence. Communion with God is a deep need for every human, whether, whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. Communion with God is how we're made to function. It's only about a loving and very present relationship with the triune creator. We must pray, talk, communicate in order to commune with him as much as we can. St. Augustine said this. He said, why God should ask us to pray when he, knows that, when he knows what we need before we ask him may perplex us if we don't realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for he cannot fail to know it, but wants us to know him in his heart. C.S. Lewis writes the Screwtape Letters, and if, if you're not familiar with his, his, the, this book, it's really a conversation, a, a series of letters between two demons who are trying to, to pull someone back, in, in essence, and, and just the whole, it's a mentor to a mentee type relationship of how you bring a Christian or someone, not even a Christian, to the, to the dark side, I guess you could say, of or not believing. And there's this, this excerpt here. And it, and it says, the long and short of it, this is Screwtape talking to, to Wormwood, who's, who's, who's the apprentice. He says, the long and the short of it is that you have let the man slip through your fingers. So there's this, this man he's been working on, and, and, he's, and he's come to repentance. It goes on to say, a repentance and a renewal of what the other side called grace on the scale which you describe is a defeat of the first order. Basically what's happening is this man has come to repentance as we would know repentance and has given his life to Jesus, experienced the grace of God. And so here's two demonic forces talking about how do we bring him back. You failed in the first order, but don't worry. And I'm going to read the rest. You failed in the first order, but there's something else that you can do to bring him back. It says it amounts to a second conversion and probably on a deeper level than the first. It remains to consider how we can retrieve this disaster. The great thing is to prevent him from doing anything. As long as he does not convert it into action, it does not matter how much he thinks about his new repentance. That's true for so many things. And we can apply that. I mean, it's a doer of the word is really what it comes down to. It's about we can have a mindset, we can have a thought, but until we put it into action, it's just going to remain the same. It goes on to say, let the little brute wallow in it. Talking about the repentance and the grace. Let him do anything but act. As one of the humans has said, active habits are strengthened by repetition. And I think that points to the fact of just communing with God and communicating. The essence of prayer, the importance of prayer, the need for prayer. 
We know prayer is important. We know we have this tool in our tool bag. And I just want to encourage us to pull it out like never before, to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to commune with Him in greater ways, to to say, Lord, increase my depth of prayer time with You as I'm in a place of solitude or I'm in the car or, or whatever to come together even more corporately as a church. That's why I asked Michael, and I even wrote a different sermon than this. Um, This is a sermon I wrote yesterday, to be honest with you. I said, put prayer, Wednesday night prayer, into the order of service as an announcement, because I want to say, come to Wednesday night prayer. I know some of you are working, some of you are doing different things, but if you can't come, take the 6 to 7 o'clock time on Wednesday night and pray. Pray with your wife, pray with a coworker, pray. Just do something, commune with God, because I think it's that important. But let that habit continue to spill over to other days, other times. Again, it's not about time, but it's about communing with the Lord. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I pray this morning that we will truly communicate and commune with you. Lord, for good reasons, we've, we've taught prayer through the, through the centuries based on habits, based on spending a certain amount of time with you. And Lord, that's good. But Lord, there's another side to prayer. It's about communing with you, being in your presence, opening up our hearts and sharing it all, laying it all before you. You already know it. Lord, let's look at the example of the disciples who saw Jesus praying but saw a different way, a communion between the Father and the Son. Let us have that same communion between you and us, between you and I. Let me commune. Let me come and sit at your feet. Let me crawl up on your lap and just just lay back. Let me just listen to your voice. Let me share what's on my heart to you. Thank you for the relationship that is there. Lord, teach us to commune with you. Lord, help us to understand what that word means. Thank you for the relationship, the intimate relationship we can have with you, Lord. Help us not to come casually to it or to speed by it rapidly. Lord, thank you that you are the organizer of this whole universe, the creator of the whole universe. And Lord, you know the things that we need to do each day. Lord, help us not to get so far out beyond you that that we're so focused on those things and not focused upon you. Lord, help me, because I know it's my problem, is to get caught up in the things I need to do. Teach me to commune. Teach us to commune with you. Lord, if we're on a walk, let us just commune as, as we see the beauty of your creation. If it's with a friend that we're, we're talking to, let us see the, the beauty of your creation within that person. If it's someone that we, we don't agree with, let us see the beauty of your creation. Lord, we want to go deeper with you. Lord, we know there's power in prayer. So Lord, take us deeper. Take us deeper, Lord. Lord, we praise you this morning for the way you've encouraged us, for the way you've challenged us. Or let us not tuck all of this into our back pocket and move on. May we allow you to tuck us 
into your hands and move forward through life, through the fulfillment of the calling and purpose that you've given us as a church and as individuals. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We are dismissed. I want our prayer ministers to come forward. If you need prayer, they're here to pray with you. If you need prayer and you don't want to come forward, turn. Pray with someone. Ask someone for a prayer. Have a great afternoon.